There is a scene in Succession where Logan receives a gift patek Philippe. So, so I'm going to give this to you in person just to say, uh, you know, happy birthday. Oh, happy. So, there we go. Oh, ooh. It's just a, it's a patek Philippe, so. Yeah, I said patek Philippe. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredibly accurate. Every time you look at it, it tells you exactly how rich you are. That's very funny. <laughs> a patek Philippe is not about time. It's about the price, and much more than the price, it's a story. Pricing is a story. Once you do it right, then your price represents much more than dollar value. It talks to the identity of your client in profound ways. For some, price may indicate a sign of excellence, a stamp of approval by the market, a symbol of achievement. For others, Price may be a way to reinforce an internal narrative about social status. For others, price may simply be a number that gives them access to a wonderful world of possibility, an in-group of like-minded people, a place full of opportunity to build up to their ideal perceived self. For others still, price is a mere metric for analysis in a spreadsheet. Price for this client is a symbol of sensibility and practicality. There is no right answer. None of these clients is more right than the others. But what we, as marketeers, have a responsibility to understand is this. Price always means something beyond the number. Price says something about them. And more importantly, it says something to them, about themselves. Price reinforces an internal narrative. And price has less to do with purchasing power and everything to do with internal states of happiness. So it's worth talking about pricing. But this is not a simple discussion. This is not about balance sheets. This is about psychology. What we must first acknowledge is how price tells a different story to different people in a more or less anticipated manner. I like to think of the market as roughly three containers, three ecosystems. It helps highly to think of these ecosystems as separate and incommunicable. Now, I'm the first to admit that this might be a gross oversimplification. Still, there is good reason to consider these containers as separated ecosystems, and it will become clearer in due time. The first container is the common, most populated medium tire, the average market. The second is the much desired luxury tire. And finally, is the elusive ultra luxury tire, reserved for the very few, the 1%. The average market represents the most common group, comprising roughly 70% of businesses. Creatives in the average market are those whose fees and numbers of bookings place them around the median in their specific local market. 
Now, because the cost of living varies from country to country, it's hard to determine an average fee. For instance, the average wedding photographer's fees in New York City would be substantially higher than in Tulsa, Oklahoma, since the cost of living is not comparable. Nonetheless, for any wedding professional to earn a living and meet living costs, a quite predictable volume of bookings is required, regardless of location and fees. Wherever middle lies, a business in this tire likely needs a sufficient number of gigs in order to be sustainable. So, for wedding photographers, whether in Germany or in the US, this number is somewhere between 25 to 40 weddings per year, whether the average fee in their area is 2,500 or 5,500 per wedding. In short, there is no universal definition of average based on fees. Being in the average market is not about how much you make per gig or in total, but about the fact that one must deliver enough volume to balance their business's books. So, the number of gigs matters because it informs the business model. So, when your business relies on the model of the more the better, then, first, we know that you rely mostly on the local market rather than destinations. Secondly, this locality makes it possible to rely on geographically targeted ads and search engine optimization that drives traffic based on generic keywords such as Paris wedding photographer. The average market is in fact the one that is more likely to benefit from any sort of advertising. Now, a common misconception is that this tire is oversaturated. This is not entirely true, because there are as many more clients as there are wedding professionals. What happens, however, is that every single potential client is presented with infinite choice. And when choice is abundant, then pricing becomes all the more important. Why would a client pay $500 more? For a photographer if there are 20 other seemingly acceptable options at a lower cost. Which brings us to my third point. Pricing in the average market is often the deciding factor for prospective clients. The pricing pressures lead to commoditization. Commoditization is the process of converting services into standardized items. The process involves stripping away unique qualities in favor of standardized, lower-cost services. This homogeneity gives customers little reason to choose one service provider over another, except for price. So when it comes to the average market, pricing psychology is often this. Fees must align with perceived value, and perceived value is related to measurable deliverables. For example, a photographer gives 10 hours of coverage, while another photographer gives only 9 hours of coverage for the same price. The practical, budget-conscious client in this tire expects the most for their money by comparing based on objective metrics around concrete deliverables, 
If the price-value relationship seems skewed or options are priced very differently for unclear reasons, then clients will likely choose the lower-cost provider. While tighter profit margins may result from this cost-conscious consumer attitude, volume can make up for it. This, in turn, creates a vicious circle like this. The more clients a wedding creative has to serve, then the less likely they are to spend energy on investing on their art, which is partly why creatives in the average market often find themselves locked in this tire. So now let's move to the next tire. Now we enter the realm of luxury, where only a mere about 10% of businesses can operate. It's important to note that this tire operates under a distinctive branding and marketing approach. The business model is defined by charging a premium. Unlike the average market, instead of marketing to a large pool of prospects, the focus is on cultivating a select group of loyal fans who are willing to pay this premium. As such, the brand's positioning holds significant sway over the marketing strategy. Traditional marketing techniques like advertising, SEO and hashtags are no longer as effective as they were in the medium tire. And that's because businesses are niche and advertising campaigns fail to convey rich value propositions. I once did an experiment to see how much I would need to spend on Google Ads for my own business. I discovered that I would have to spend approximately 2000 on ads for a single booking at my fees level which proves how direct advertising in the luxury market is not a viable option. To make an impact in the luxury market, you need highly emotive marketing. It's all about storytelling. The objective is to create a communicative appeal that blurs the lines between business and art. In essence, you are no longer selling a product, but crafting a narrative that aims to help clients reach their idealized self. Before delving deeper into this, let's address a few misconceptions first. First, it's easy to believe that clients in the luxury market are inherently more sophisticated. The truth is that sophisticated clients exist across all tires. What sets luxury clients apart are their distinct consumer habits. They are accustomed to engaging with brands whose narratives are rooted in value rather than price. The next common misconception is thinking that the only difference between the luxury and the average consumer is spending power. The true difference lies in the way luxury clients invest their money. When one is buying 10 or 15,000 euros worth of wedding photography, they expect 100,000 euros return. Not in terms of photography, but in self-esteem, a sense of accomplishment, a sense of belonging with like-minded people, and an alignment with the brand's values, which in turn reinforce an idealized self-identity. You cannot put a price tag on these. 15,000 euros of photography can get you priceless return on your investment. Money 
more than just a way to purchase services, is a way in changing one's self-narrative. All this stands true whether you, we are talking about expensive wine, luxury watches, or luxury cars. Any car can take you from point A to B, but the Ferrari does so while changing your self-identity. A Casio watch can tell the time as accurately as a Patek Philippe, but only a Patek Philippe changes the way you feel about yourself whenever you look at it. And expensive wine is not consistently better than cheaper wine, but everything about it, from the visit to the chateau's cellar, to the wine-tasting experience, to the label, changes you in fundamental ways. Let's talk about spending power for a bit more. Many new luxury consumers are high earners who are not necessarily rich yet. And this is a common misconception. They are commonly referred to as Henry, or high earners not rich yet. What you need to remember about them is that they don't actually feel rich. Many have high debt, little savings, and are working full-time. They're working hard, harder than most people. And of course, they value their money, because it's not an unlimited resource to them, unlike what most people believe. In fact, they appreciate the value of their money even more, exactly because they work hard. Now, while there is no one-size-fits-all approach to navigating luxury consumer psychology, there are a few psychological clusters that your customer segments likely fall under. And these are First, a need for uniqueness. Second, signaling and status. And third, self-narrative. So let's explore the need for uniqueness. For luxury consumers, standing out from the crowd is a crucial element of self-expression. This need for uniqueness is especially prevalent among luxury consumers who crave differentiation and seek to showcase their individuality through the brands they choose to associate with. They demand more than just a product or service. They yearn for an experience that is tailor-made to their tastes and preferences. They expect nothing less than innovation and unparalleled excellence from their chosen brand. It's the avant-garde the trailblazers, the ones who dare to be different, that capture the hearts and minds of this specific audience. Yet, though uniqueness is a driving force, the new luxury consumer is not looking to signal uniqueness by demonstrating wealth. Which brings us to the second psychological cluster, wealth and status. So, the old theory was that People buy luxury explicitly to show how they are part of an in-group of wealthy luxury connoisseurs. Think of Louis Vuitton with its branding printed all over the product. But the new luxury consumer rejects conspicuousness. In fact, studies show that nowadays only a tiny percentage of luxury consumers purchase luxury as a signal of wealth. Instead, they tend to prefer to showcase their affiliation to an in-group of woke shoppers with a pro-social attitude. Modern luxury consumers stand for and support social equality and environmental awareness. The final psychological cluster 
pertains to one's sense of self. Luxury purchases hold symbolic value. Every luxury purchase brings the client closer to their idealized self-image. Therefore, rather than solely emphasizing the wealth of your clientele or emphasizing how expensive a Rolex watch or a bespoke bridal gown is, what aligns better with a new luxury consumer is shifting communication towards the so-called aspirational self. The luxury industry as a whole is moving away from promoting an unattainable self-image and instead is focused on constructing an aspirational self. The aspirational self sits somewhere between the desirable and the realizable. And this is worth talking more about. The, the desirable and the realizable are extremely important concepts. There was a time when wedding photographers, especially editorial wedding photographers, would try to make their brides look like models. And the paradox is that in modern fashion photography, models are trying to show themselves as everyday folks. In other words, while traditional fashion photography used to emphasize an idealized yet unreachable persona, now it's shifting its focus towards more realistic people. But still, quite often us wedding photographers do not keep up with the trends of the times, and we still stretch our models' limbs all over the place in the most unrealistic manners. And this example alone shows how little the world of luxury is really understood in the wedding world. It shows that we do not always understand exactly what and why we are doing things. We are lacking a framework. Finally, we have the highest tire, that of ultra-luxury. This is the elite, the select 1%. Here, photography prices soar to astonishing heights of 30 to 40,000 for standard coverage. What makes this tire very unique is how tightly knit it is. This is a small group of elite consumers who are so well connected that they attend each other's exclusive gatherings. Now, when you're part of a group this exclusive, there's a sense of wanting to keep up with the Jonases, so to speak. The smaller the group, the stronger the pressure to conform to collective choices. In a small interconnected group like this, people like us do things like this. What the things like this are? Well, we hire our photographer from a small, tiny pool which is exactly what makes this tire so difficult to penetrate. Now, let's move to the next and most burning question. You want to shift from the average market to the luxury market. How does anybody do this? Let me use an analogy. Imagine the average market as a cruise ship. The cruise ship is reliable, steady and comfortable. But if you want to go faster, you can't just ask the cruise ship to accelerate because it's not built for speed. If you want to reach your destination quicker, then you need to jump onto a speedboat. In our analogy, the speedboat is the luxury tire. Here is where things get tricky. Speedboats are bumpy 
and you feel every jolt of every wave. Even worse, you give up the buffet, the comfy suite, and the pool. But, and this is the kicker, you go faster. Changing tires is not a linear process, just like transitioning from the cruise ship to the speedboat is not as straightforward as it sounds. Anyone who has ever done this understands. It often involves keeping the speedboat in place by holding it with ropes. Then you have to time when you step in exactly when the waves make it less bumpy. And it helps if someone is giving you a helping hand. The transition is often nauseating as you're moving from a stable platform onto a bumping dinghy. You cannot just keep one leg on the cruise ship and the other on the speedboat. You either jump or you don't. In other words, there is a quantum leap. You can't keep one foot in the average market and the other in the luxury market. You can't play it safe. You cannot serve both masters. Because your brand will suffer from a dichotomy, a split personality. If your brand is attuned to the luxury market, then it no longer speaks to the average consumer and vice versa. You have to decide which of the two you wish to serve and stick to it. You see, there are two fundamental factors that differ from tire to tire. First, they are different on the level of the consumer's values. And secondly, they are different on the level of the brand's values. What appeals to the medium market will not resonate at all with luxury clients. The main difference between tires is the story they assign to the price. Where the average market assigns a utilitarian story to the price, as in looking to match value to dollars, the luxury tire is assigning intangible value to money. When thinking of luxury, here is a phrase that is very useful to always keep in the back of your head. Luxury is something inconveniently valuable. Inconveniently, because you would have to be willing to give up something important to you. And valuable, because you would stand to benefit more than what you had given up. So what do you give up every time you buy a luxury product? And what do you expect to get in return? Well, first thing is first. You are not giving up just money. For example, listening to vinyl records is luxury because you are willing to give up music portability for it. And despite this, you stand to benefit even more. The priceless experience of collecting, preserving, and interacting with the closest physical thing to the artist herself. When corsets first came out, women refused to give them up despite doctors warning that they might deform their ribs. Corsets, you see, were luxury. Because for those who valued the hourglass shape, far outweighed the long-term health risks. Someone always has to give up something for, for a luxury service. In the world of luxury, relinquishing money 
isn't the paramount sacrifice that consumers make. Rather, they surrender control by entrusting you to conjure up something truly extraordinary. By doing so, they stand to gain much more than they gave up. They expect the sheer delight of exquisite photographs and a truly exceptional experience. The luxury market is therefore less about pricing and more about the yearning to be delighted and surprised. And isn't this what art is all about? Therefore, if you want to enter the luxury market, then your mindset has to shift. And this has to be reflected in your marketing as well. The most powerful marketing message you have in your disposal is finding ways to communicate to your clients that the product is not photographs or makeup or flowers, but delight. What is this delight? It's a connection to a meaningful experience, the humanity of being seen and acknowledged, the disruptive creativity of creating something they did not even imagine possible, the opportunity to take them by the hand and bring them closer to their idealized self, making them feel remarkable, connecting them with higher values such as dignity, heritage, wellness. But the burning question remains. How do we leapfrog from one tire to the next? Unfortunately, there is no easy answer to this. What is certain, however, is that it has to be a process of mindset adjustment primarily. And though I cannot give you a roadmap, I can tell you what not to do. The greatest mistake is to keep one leg on the safe ground of the average market while dipping your toes in the luxury tire with the other. The mindset shift has to be paradigmatic. You either do then jump or you don't. Please forget the idea that you will be able to transition in slow and steady stages. If you do it too slowly, it's unlikely you will ever gain momentum. Then, on the other hand, if you make the transition as a leap, you will most likely find yourself in a very scary place called the dip. The dip is a difficult period that separates the successful from the unsuccessful. It's the limbo stage. Those who are able to push through the dip and persevere will ultimately achieve success, while those who give up too soon will fail. The dip is the valley of dead dreams. It's the rite of passage. You either go through it or you don't. And nobody who spends too much time in the dip survives it. So, how will you know you are in the dip? You will know because you've done everything right. You changed your mindset. You realize that you need to dedicate yourself to a small select group of people. You increased your prices so that it is possible for you to serve a very small number of clients. Your marketing reflects this. 
you no longer focus on strategies such as advertising, etc., but your art is now the main vehicle of your marketing. You have decided that your mission is to delight your client in every single interaction you have with them. And you created protocols and processes that keep you accountable to this promise. You associated yourself with other creatives who also share the same beliefs and values. And now what? How come and you get rejection after rejection? Why is it that most of your wedding inquiries are still coming from the average tire? And since you do not book your desired clients, revenues are lower and you might find it more difficult to invest in new shoots. Well, there, now you know. Most likely, you're in the deep. Just know this. If it's worth doing, there is probably a deep. Professional swimming has a deep. The difference between a mediocre swimmer and a champion isn't inborn talent. It's the ability to push through the moments where it's just easier to quit. Then deep creates scarcity, and scarcity creates value. Then deep is the natural law of selection that keeps the luxury tire self-contained, and it's also why the number of luxury photographers or luxury planners, etc., remains over time a consistent 10% or so. Because most people will quit in the deep. But you should know, extraordinary benefits accrue to the tiny minority of people who are able to push just a tiny bit longer than most. Like I always say, if everybody can do it, then most likely it's the wrong thing to do. I think this is a valuable lesson to remember. Know that even if you do everything right, even if you apply all the advice in the world, even if your art is excellent and your branding is top-notch, you will still have to go through the deep. If you're prepared for it, it might be you the one who does not quit on the 25th mile of the marathon, the one who makes it to the finish line. If all this sounds depressingly hopeless, you need to know that once you go through the dip, the struggle becomes exponentially easier. Winners always win big because the marketplace loves a winner. Once you go through the dip, there is so much hope. I'll be leaving you with this message and I know this might feel that I've left you with not much advice. The truth is this. There is no roadmap. If there was one, then everybody would be able to do it. And no matter what you might have been told, not everybody can, will, or should become a luxury vendor. If it were easy, it wouldn't be called luxury anymore. Still, I hope that by you knowing the unique psychology of the luxury market, you will understand better what you should be prioritizing. That the greatest marketing asset you own is your art itself and its ability to surprise and delight. That your product is not photographs, 
but holding your client by the hand and leading them closer to their idealized self. That clients invest a premium but expect a thousand percent return of their investment in intangible value. And that even if you do everything right, you will still have to go through the deep. I've gone through the deep and it was one of the most psychologically draining periods of my life. If I could do it, then so can you. It's your rite of passage. And if this is something you really, truly want to do, then I hope I will see you on this side of the deep.